Hello and welcome to Mediation Matters. This series of podcasts explores how mediation can make the world a better place. Join me, Adam Gersh, founder and CEO of Global Mediation, the most active and fastest growing national provider of mediation services, as I discuss the latest developments, trends, updates, and important topical questions with real experts in the field. In this series, we will be exploring how to disagree well. We will take a behind the scenes look at mediation and we will share essential mediation skills and their practical application in a variety of conflict situations. And now for our special guest, enjoy the podcast. Today, we have a very special podcast to commemorate International Women's Day on the 8th of March, 2023. And I'm joined by three wonderful women, and I will allow them to introduce themselves, beginning with Martha. Hi, I am Martha Monday. I am the Chief Operating Officer at Global Mediation, also a member of the Mediator team. I've been with Global right from the beginning, I'm proud to say, right back from 1999. And I've seen all the... years in between and it's a wonderful time of of development and growth so I'm really pleased to be here still standing today. (laughs) Fantastic more than still standing and we've got Natalie and Zanel so I'll turn to Natalie now. Hi there thank you I'm really looking forward to celebrating Women's International Day. I am Natalie I am a Deputy Area Lead for Team North um, I think I just about beat you in the early stakes, Martha. Yeah. <laughs> I was there at the very idea of mediation, <laughs> and it was a mere um, speckle on Adam's brain. <laughs> um, and it's really grown into a wonderful company. And the, we, I love working. I work in Global now as a deputy lead, and I love working with the people. Um, and watching it grow has been an amazing experience. Thank you very much, Natalie, and I'll allow Zonel to introduce herself, please, Zonel. Hi, my name is Zonel Richardson. I am the area lead for the Southwest region and London. Um, I joined the company in September 2021, and um, I personally believe I joined at the right time as the company is growing, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. Um, One of the things that attracted me for applying um, at Global Mediation is the purpose of the business. I just love the idea of um, dispute resolutions. I think that um, people should be able to have conversations, uh, address their um, their concerns, and leave the discussion with, you know, mutually um, agreed decisions we are all involved in. Fantastic. Well, that's really great. I'm bound to say that with those wonderful introductions and CVs, you've all got the job, so don't worry. Um, We're going to have a conversation really related to mediation and also on the theme of International uh, Women's Day in relation to gender and women and the sort of impact that that has in our work. So I want to kick off really and dive straight in and and ask you all really and um, to, 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 to chip in on what extent you feel gender has influenced your choice of job or or career. And I'm going to bring Martha in first because we actually share a professional qualification, don't we, Martha? Tell us about that. Well, alongside my earlier mediating days, I was also a barrister. Um, 
more concentrating on family law, whereas Adam does criminal law. But um, yes, it was it was a bit of a struggle for me to get into that profession. I think um, I'm probably older than anyone else on this podcast, and it, it came from quite a traditional family, and their expectations, I think, were relatively low you know they sort of encouraged me more down a secretarial route I started my working life as a court stenographer actually and um, then thought when I was watching all these barristers every day I can do a better job than them (laughs) so um, in my 30s was called to the bar and um, I have to say I think it was it was difficult you know even in those days um looking at sort of 20 odd years ago, uh, there was still, I think, some prejudice. And I certainly felt that, you know, as a woman with children at that time, that I had to really play down the fact I was a mother. I had to just, you know, compete with all these young, straight out of um, bar school and university um, people who didn't have the same responsibilities. And it it was very difficult. And... um, and in my earlier working life, in fact, even more, well, just sort of casual sexism, to be honest, because that was in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, I remember going into court as a stenographer with some colleagues and this barrister used to sing, oh, three little maids are we, you know, so patronising, so patronising. And that sort of thing just all the time. It was commonplace in those days. I'm pleased to say things have changed. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you think that um, doing family law was also influenced by being uh, a woman? Because I think a lot of women at the bar were pushed into or encouraged to do family law. Well, you'll you'll be able to get on, you understand all the emotional side of it rather than the sort of more... Mm -hmm factual yeah. was, was that is that a feature is that a factor yeah i think i think it was well i don't know if i was steered into it or if it was a, a an inclination but i i certainly didn't ever really give consideration into going into commercial and you know where the money is i wish i had now <laughs> <laughs> but also i mean i think looking back i think how ridiculous you know i was a woman who had a family and had all that experience, why did I have to play it down when I was having interviews for tenancy, you know, with Chambers? You know, that should have been something that was embraced and welcomed. But I really, really felt very strongly that I, you know, I didn't even mention that I had children. And, um, you know, I, I think it was, I don't think I imagined it. You know, I think that was the case. I had to really play it down and just be completely professional and not not appearing to be tied down with other commitments wow it's good to know that that things have changed but it's kind of hard to imagine as you say people singing a song when you know a female barrister comes in let me bring in natalie because uh you're a a mother of uh, five boys so um i'm interested in what your response to what uh, um Mm -hmm. martha says in relation to yeah i can really hiding that and you know with Childcare and so on. Yeah, I can really relate to that. I think um, I also started off and actually uh, I don't think I was particularly encouraged to do anything more. As Martha was saying, we were all encouraged to do secretarial work or something we could do as well as having a family. That was the um, idea. Um, But I actually did go down that route. I had a family, thank God, because I, you know, 
it's a real privilege and honor to have a family. And I did have a career break. Um, and that was it. That was just an amazing time, hard as it is. Um, and it was even, it was hard to go back into the workplace as well. Um, cause that was also a juggle. But when I was early in my working career, um, there was a couple of instances actually that, um, I stick out in my memory. One was a reference that I received, um, that I only learned about quite recently that someone from my previous work called me a good girl. And I was, that made me feel quite uncomfortable. Um, I mean, that's going back to maybe to the eighties, nineties. I mean, it's hard to believe that that somebody could say that in a reference at that time as well. So what the um, context was just that you were, what, what you were just a good girl. That yes. They must've written something else around that, but it came to light that they said, you know, she'd be, good at working and she's a good girl. I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, being a bad girl. Yeah. Um, but, um, yes, but I did come back into the workplace and I'm very glad I did. You mentioned, um, you mentioned two things. So that was a letter. You said there was something else that sticks out. So there was something else that sticks out. Um, the other thing was um, I was working for an organisation where we used to live. Um, and I was working in the kind of marketing department um, of the organization and I was put in a room and at that time you were allowed to smoke in the office um, and I was with a an accounts director so a quite high figure up a male accounts director and there was this argument between us about smoking and non-smoking in and it just felt because I was the younger young lady in the department that my voice was never heard as much as his um his voice that he wanted to smoke so there was that whole thing going on in the office and right. i just think now bringing it back to dates i think that wouldn't i think it would have been dealt, dealt with very differently nowadays wow well, how did that play out the the sort of conflict in the workplace well i won in the end Let's put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Um, strong, strong voices at work, even if they're, they're, they're pushed down a bit. And um, so now I, I want to bring you in because you, you've had quite an interesting experience in terms of before your previous life, before coming into uh, the mediation world, uh, you, you, I think, had quite an interesting uh, work environment. Tell us about that. Um, well, for me personally, I am from a British overseas territory, a beautiful island in the Caribbean. Um, and uh, I was an immigration task force um, officer, so I was part of law enforcement. And um, there was a team called Immigration Task Force, the ones who do the land patrol, sea patrol, raids, and so forth. And um, upper management decided because they were picking up more illegal women that it makes sense um, to have a female immigration task force officer on the team. Um, there was no interview process or anything. Um, the senior management just had a discussion with me and asked me my thoughts. And I was like, I'm up for the challenge. So I was appointed and assigned to that team. But the, my teammates, which were all men, all males, 
um, they weren't so excited to receive me. And I think they all had um, their various reasons why, which includes the fact that I guess they think that a woman wasn't fit to hold such a role. Um, maybe they were even thinking about the safety of a woman actually carrying out the duties and responsibilities expected. So there was um, a lot of talk and um, uneasiness when I joined the team and um, the chief immigration officer, um, a female a woman, again, some of the members assumed because she's a woman, that's the reason why she appointed a female to join the team when in fact she was looking at the overall picture. You don't really want a male to go and detain a female by themselves. I mean, you don't know what can happen. Accusations could be made. So it only made sense to have a woman on the team to actually carry out those um, specific tasks, especially when dealing with women. It's really interesting. And just to zoom in on what you said, um, so to some extent, being a woman was an advantage because it sounded like you got the job that was the main qualification. I mean, I don't know. Um, but, um, can, I, can I just ask you, Zanel, because one of the things I was thinking about for ready for this discussion is the workplace and how really, you know, historically women have had to fit and mould themselves into a male model of working, you know, the nine to five. And, I mean, your experience there is really quite an extreme example of that. You had a totally male setup. And you were coming in as a new person. I mean, how did that work on a sort of day to day, you know, in the tea room and that, that sort of, you know, how did you manage to fit into that? And, and did you manage to change it so that it wasn't such a, um, a male, um, you know, ideal? So I was appointed to this role in 2006. And, um, my personality had to change. I had to be tougher and not all smiley and positive like I am genuine um, generally. So I had to appear stronger, tougher. So which means even when I'm communicating with team members or um, illegal immigrants, my face was always serious. My tone was always stern. Um, and even down to the uniform, it wasn't fit for a female. It was more <laughs> designed for um, male, um, the male. So that too, they had to take into consideration. For instance, the shape of a bulletproof vest. The one that they given me obviously wasn't suited for my body. So we had to take measurements in, um, customized one to suit me. It actually took them maybe four, four months or so for them to get used to the idea that a female is on the team. And I actually had to prove myself that I am capable of carrying out the necessary tasks. So for the trainings that we had to attend, I literally had to not only show up, but show off meaning going above and beyond to prove myself that I am worthy of holding the position. It's really interesting. And I think in a lot of cases, um, women tend to have to sometimes be uh, better at the job 
or, or show. But I'm interested in what you say about trying to fit in. Was that ever because we, Martha raises a good point in terms of mediation and conflict resolution and, and how people are in the workplace. Was that ever something that was discussed or it was just understood or you just felt that on yourself that you had to do that to progress? I felt it. I felt it. It was in their attitudes, their body language. And the thing is, um, the job is my bread and butter. And, um, and my mentality is any role that I am, I want to do well. Yeah, I want to prove that I am an asset to the company, that I am valuable, that I am capable and I have potential to do much more. So um, walking into such a role where I was basically ignored in the beginning, um, voice was not heard. I could recall even in the team's meetings when we were coming up with plans and strategies to liaise with the other law enforcement agencies, they used to over talk what so while I'm speaking, they would literally cut me off and cut and, and speak on their own as if I like I wasn't even in the room. So I had mm. to put myself in the position to be heard. And it actually took a while for uh, me to get there. But I did have the support of um the chief. And um in fact she did have a few meetings uh, with the team and to explain the reason why this change has to be implemented. And I guess it's because there was never ever a female on the team. It, it, it was unnatural, unusual, weird, strange to them. So they struggled with actually accepting that this is how we're gonna operate moving forward. Do you think that um, if it had been available there, that mediation would have helped with that? Because it sounds like exactly that sort of situation where you know, perhaps they weren't doing these things intentionally, but they needed to hear what the impact on you was. And, you, you know, you didn't have that opportunity of a forum to to get together and, and talk it out. Yes, Martha. Um, mediation wasn't popular um, in Anguilla at that time, but I think it would have been quite useful because I think that each party would have had the opportunity to explain and they would have been brought more up to, um, to speed of why it is needed, you know? And then maybe they would be like, oh, okay, now I understand, this makes sense. Brilliant, um, Martha, let me throw that back to you. Um, when you were in, you describe an environment at the bar which was quite old fashioned in many ways. Now we look at it in horror and think, well, how, did, how did people ever get away with that? Um, do you, what do you think would have been the response or do you think there would have been use back then in people actually calling this out and saying this is actually how you're making me feel? You know, would a conversation have helped, do you think? And, and what about now? Yeah, well, I think um, I think there were a lot of more traditional types, should we say, in the bar back um back in the 80s and 90s, and I, I'm not sure that it would even have occurred to them to sort of sit sit round and hear another point of view. And, I mean, it's a very harsh profession. I, I think it definitely has moved on now, and I'm not practising now, so I'm not sort of completely up to date. But 
you know, it was it was hard. It was almost every man or woman for themselves because, you know, you didn't have sort of debriefs and supervision sessions and all that. So, you know, when I came to Global and and, it, and that was all sort of introduced, I thought, crikey, what is all this? Because you're just used to sort of getting on, uh, you know, with things on your own. Um, and and I think it is, you know, as Sonel said, you have to sort of go that one step beyond. Or I used to feel that, certainly. And I and I did often feel very underestimated. And in fact, I think I turned that into a bit of a, an advantage because um, people would have these sort of set ideas of what a barrister is and they think, you know, someone quite aggressive and assertive and a particular type and talks in a particular way. And I wasn't any of those things. And I was short, you know, and a woman and quietly spoken and and that became an advantage because they would completely underestimate what I was going to be like in court. I used to do masses of preparation, you know, all through the night. And then, you know, it was it felt good to come in and, you know, take take away those expectations and surprise them and not, not be, you know, the pushover that, that they thought I was going to be. So it was like my, it was my secret weapon. I used to often say that's my secret weapon because, you know, just so underestimated that, that they didn't expect, you know, anything different. That's fantastic. Natalie, just to bring you in mm. uh, on this, um, Martha raised a very interesting question to Zanel, you know, what was it like in the sort of canteen or the staff room or did, were you invited into the male environment or were you very much sidelined in your, work your secretarial work or i think you said you work for a, um, another organization yeah i think there was a them, them and us kind of attitude especially in one place i worked it was there was a hierarchy for sure um i don't remember ever being sidelined uh, as such i think it was just a natural order of things how it went um in those days um there was just a natural hierarchy um and again i don't remember ever having meetings um to talk about things like we do um if there's something you know not quite right or you want to change something or something i don't remember anyone offering that sort of support in that way i don't think it was kind of even thought about you did your job and that was it, really. That was it. Martha, you've done some brilliant work on unconscious bias and training in mediation, uh, and that's all fantastic. And to, to what extent do you think in mediation sometimes people, and you've hit the nail on the head, really, don't even realise that there's a problem? You mm. know, they carry on blissfully, ignorantly, and think, well, you know, it's all fine, everything suits me. Other people really aren't having their voice heard. And I think some of your... Um, some of your training and your examples that you've brought in and training on unconscious bias really do bring to the fore that people may not even know that they're excluding people. Well, we've all we've all got our unconscious biases, haven't we? And the, the fact that they're unconscious makes it difficult sometimes, you know, to, to be aware of them in yourself, let alone in others. But I think um, having that sort of level of insight and being aware and the right using the right sort of language and <clears throat> I mean I think the best example of um of how unconscious bias can work and how we are all sort of affected by things uh, socialization and things that we take for granted in society is that clip that um, I've shown at some training days of the girls um 
it's, uh, it's set up and they say to some teenage boys and girls, run like a girl. And the teenagers all run in a really silly, you know, comic way, not really run. They're just, oh, 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 you know, this is how girls run, you know, very ineffectually, actually. And then they turn to some little girls who are about sort of six and seven, run like a girl. And, you know, how do you run like a girl? So I run as fast as I can. And they're, you know, they're committed to it. And it's like, you know, the, the things that we don't even think about you know, why would we say or run like a girl? It's got to be something silly and comic and ineffectual. You know, that's not how we start out as little girls. As little girls, we think, yeah, we can do anything. We can conquer the world, you know. So it's, it's um, I think, a very good example of things that people just do, you know, and say and think and without even having consciousness of it. And I'm pleased that now we are all becoming more aware and we're more careful with our language and we're more respectful of other people's views and opinions. And, you know, that's that's a good thing. And I think that's what mediation has, and practising mediation has done for me. You know, it's it's made me much more aware of these things. And, and the you know, the training that we do and all the regular things that we, we have um, that highlight these things and the, and actually the culture of our company and I know we're not just talking about our company but you know the culture you work in is so important. Mm. I think you raise a really good point on language and your example on language um, to what extent have people experienced sort of different terminology or, or, I, or language that that uh, that that you know, makes it makes a difference. And how important is language, Natalie? Yeah, I was going to say language is so important. Um, as a deputy area lead and case manager, I speak to, I've spoken to lots and lots and lots of people um, over the years, and uh, you get to hear this. You get to hear their stories, and you get to you get in a position where you're actually privileged to hear a little bit about their, you know, what they're going through. Um, and that's a real privilege. Um, but you've got to remember that everybody is different. Um, everyone has a story. Everyone's got to be respected. Um, and the, the use of language, the pronouns now that have just coming, you know, starting to be more aware of different pronouns that people want to use. And it's getting used to uh, that difference that we're moving along. Um, it's not easy, but, you know, I, I respect that. Um, and just to be inclusive of all people that, you know, we come across. It's Absolutely. Really yeah, and respectful, so, as Martha says, respectful. So to, to give an example, um, Zanel or, or, or Natalie, you're really at the front, uh, the cutting coal face of the, of the, of the uh, taking mediation calls and supervising other people taking those calls. Um, and we, you get a large number of people calling in. Uh, how many calls or mediations would you be dealing with in a week across all the teams for now? Um, in terms of uh, mediations arranged on a weekly basis, we do between 80 to 100 on average. So you can imagine the, the time needed to actually, you know, arrange those meetings. Wow. And, um, I'm saying if you get, if you did about 100 mediations, presumably you get a, a lot more callers than that getting you know lots of people calling in and um i wanted to ask is there a noticeable difference 
taking up what Natalie had said um, in the proportion of callers who are of a particular gender. Are there more women or men calling in? What What are you seeing, really? Well, I'm seeing a lot more women, actually. Oh, sorry, Danielle, I'm seeing a lot more women. Well, I think there's a lot more women calling in than um, the men. Is that um, your experience, Danielle? Yes, I agree with Natalie. I mean, what what's... I- so, say, if you had 100 callers, how many would be men and how many would be women? Um, I would say about maybe 85. 85% are, are, yeah. are women. Why wow. do you think that is? Because uh, I don't know. Well, I think we uh, it goes back to the um, – with main caregivers, I guess, at the end of the day. I mean, we don't have to be, but um, – we know they, I don't know why that should be. I really don't know why. Because there's no reason we do the same or, you know, I don't know why it should be women. I don't know. Maybe. I wonder if women are more sort of attuned to talking about things, you know, thinking this needs to be talked about and talking about emotions and feelings and how they've been affected um, and again, it's sort of, I know it's a traditionalist view, men don't talk about their emotions. And again, that's something that's thankfully changing. But, you know, traditionally, women are the ones who have said, let's let's talk it out. Um, and I wonder if that's why they are more open to the idea of mediation. I don't know. They're just women are, as a mediator, as a case manager, do you think women are better communicators? Do you think that's, a, a you know, nature or nurture? Do you think that tends to be... That, that 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 stereotype has some basis that women perhaps are more comfortable about talking. I don't know about better <laughs> communicators. Women have been quiet. I don't know better communicators. Maybe just just if you're talking about something that has an emotional impact. Um, yeah. I think you know if you if you took a group of. Mixed gender, probably the more feminine amongst them would be more comfortable talking about their emotions, I, I would guess. So talking about men and women, do you think there are different traits that uh, you've experienced? Yes. So um, I personally feel that women take the lead, especially um, parents, carers. Um, because we are more emotional beings. And I guess when, um, as a mother, you, you simply just want the best for your child. So I think there's a natural instinct to just do things. So I believe that is the reason why um, most of the parents, when they do call, it's a higher number of women in you know, proposed to um, males calling him. Yeah, and when you talk about parents, you're dealing with a lot of education disagreements, aren't you? The contracts that you deal with are a lot of education issues between parents and local authorities, special educational needs. So it's, it's, it's parents you're dealing with, and you think that that influences the fact that there's a lot more women that, that, that call in. Um, I mean, I... I'm thinking about when I was younger I just as a kid you know I, I used to go to school and we'd go back after the school holidays and um, my parents would say you know what did so-and-so do for their 
you know, what did they do during the holidays? We'd been away for, I don't know what it is, six weeks or whatever. And I would have no idea. You know, we'd talk about football and we'd talk about uh, school things. Nobody talked about what they did. I had my sister, I have one sister, Emma, and she would come home and she went to a girls' school. And she would know what everyone did. You know, she would know all the stories of the backstories. I don't know if that's a, a, a gender thing. It seemed to me that maybe it was social pressure or maybe inherent, but it wasn't a call. You didn't, if somebody growing up as a, as a, as a, a young male person in a boys school, um, it would be slightly odd if you asked too much about people's emotions or personal life or what they got up to. Whereas for women, that was more acceptable. So whether it was a, whether it was a skill or talent or attribute to some degree, it was modeled by what other people did. And I'm very fascinated by what Zanel said that in your work, you basically had to act and you changed your behavior to act like a male person because that was the template. And by what Martha said, that you had to really, in fact, you played it to your advantage, that you were acting really as a, as, as their stereotypical f female, um, person. But in fact, you could do, you know, twice as well as they could and used it to your advantage to take them by surprise. And it's, it's interesting. I wonder how much is social conditioning and how much, you know, how much is nature and how much is nurture? And Natalie, any, any views on that? Well, this is a very complex, um, you know, argument, isn't it? That we could be here all day uh, discussing. Um, in it's also, I feel, ever since they're the children are born, there's the nursery rhymes and the media and the pink tops and the pretty dresses, and so it's all around us, isn't it? And now it's changing somewhat to make women more um, in line with men. Yeah, there is a change. And going, going back to Martha's question, thinking about it as a father, uh, I do have friends who are stay-at-home fathers and the, the mother is the person who is the sort of breadwinner and the sort of traditional model seems to be that the mother and father are both uh, breadwinners and the mother then comes home and does all the work that, that, that is expected, you know, that they do and the, and, the, and the father doesn't do much. So there, there are degrees, you know, certainly within my... Um, friends, but I would say on the whole, it's less usual mm. for the for the men to be at home and to be the homemaker. And though again, that is changing, isn't it? That, that is changing, mm. I think. But um, even I mean, I remember being young, and I, now I can see now how hurtful it must have been as a as a, as a child. But if I was ever, you know, uh, particularly if I was at university or I was away, and I would phone up. And uh, my dad would answer. I'd always say, "Yes, yeah, mum, there, please." <laughs> That's where the where the sympathy was coming from. But I don't know now. I mean, I, I'm I'm the recipient of that. You know, I, I suppose I can't, you know, but my I, I, often Natalie will be uh, at a work meeting. I'll be looking after uh, children or have looked after young children, and something uh, occurs. And I suppose just because they're used to their their, their mum, they will always ask to upgrade, really, and. <laughs> <laughs> be more interested in yeah. uh, well seconds. <laughs> correct well can can, can you contact mum yeah, one thing i think um i'd like to know from um from you natalie and adam if there's a difference is that sort of sense and it, i mean it's called maternal guilt but that sort of parental guilt of not you know we all try and do the best for our children as we feel it at the time and then 
I don't know about you, but I always beat myself up thinking, oh, I should have done this. Why didn't I do that? I did that wrong. You know, you never feel you've got it right. And I wonder if that sort of sense of guilt, I mean, I I was very driven to have a career. And and now I'm old and I look back and think, oh, I should have spent more time with the children. I should have done this. I mean, both my kids have turned out wonderfully. They're fantastic. So I think something went right. But I still have a sense of residual guilt there. And I wonder, you know, is that a, is that a um, gender thing? Or, you know, Adam, do you, when you're forging out your career and you're not at home much, do you get that feeling, oh, I should be, I should be doing this, I should be doing that? Are you as torn? As, you know, I, I, I wonder, you know, between the two of you, how that plays out. To know, uh, I think that it's. I think it's a huge thing to bring up a family, and I think it's a huge thing to spend time with the family. And I don't think they say that at the end of someone's life, you know, they never uh, sort of uh, at, at, at a tribute or at a funeral. Nobody said, "Oh, I wish they'd have spent more time at work." You know, nobody mm-hmm. says that. Um, people, you know, it, it's seen as. A, I think it is becoming more valued now. Um, I don't think I had the was was torn. I think I felt as a male person that it was expected that I would go out to work mm. and earn a living um, and I've tried to do that and hopefully one day I'll, I will uh, earn enough to maintain my current standard of living but um, yeah I, I don't I don't think I was sort of torn in the same way as a mother might. I mean that must be a relief because that that is a huge pressure I think on a lot of working women do you agree Natalie? Yeah, completely. To leave your children, you know, when they're crying at the door and you've got to go out to work, that is mm-hmm. a real guilt factor. And do you think, um, Natalie, that... say, you know, what's for dinner and you're not there, it's, yeah, it's, you feel bad, you feel bad. But, you know, on the other hand, as they get a bit older, um, I think it's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing that they're indep- they grow up to be independent and, you know, to say that you have to work hard to get on in life. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not at all saying you know we we shouldn't do the things we do, and um, just that that just that feeling of it is quite a burden, I think, on a lot of on a lot of um, women that that feeling of I should be there, but I'm here, and I want you know, and it is feeling torn. It yeah. is. You never do the right thing. It's mm. always that's what you feel, isn't it? interesting and what you what you touch on of course what's sort of the unspoken bit behind what you say is of course the issue of child rearing and bringing up children and um you know single women having uh, jobs and it goes back to what you said at the beginning doesn't it Martha about not even wanting to tell people in a, in a job interview or things that you, you had any family life or interest outside of work, or they might think, well, you know, this person shouldn't be shouldn't be engaged in in, in this role. Um, so de- dealing, just bringing things together. How would you? We, we we're on the theme of International Women's Day, and we've talked about work and conflict in the workplace and terminology. How would you like to see people change their approach to women at work? What would you, if you could wave a magic wand, which is a great mediation expression, and say, okay, this is what we really should be doing. Um, the theme, obviously, of International Women's Day is how we embrace equity, um, that it's not just something we say, it's something we uh, actually I- embrace and we believe in um, and creating an inclusive world. What could we do better 
Um, and if not in our workplace, what, what could other people be doing um, better? Zanel, any, any thoughts on that? Yes. So pay equality has always been a big debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So pay equality and um, more opportunities um, for women in the workplace. Um, so, yeah, achieving gender equality. Um, and it also leads to women rights and leads to better legal protection for women, um, especially in the workplace. So these are um, things that we should be um, aware of and um, put into place to support women. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. And, and you use the word equality and equality is perhaps different from, you know, equity implies more fairness. Equality yeah. implies that there should be, the same opportunities for men and women. Yeah, uh, that, mm -hmm. that, that builds in all those things. Um, Natalie, what about what, what about you? What would be your your wish list well, if you could wave a magic wand and, and, and change how people uh, re react to women at work? I think um, I think we do things well in our company. But I have that we, you know, if there's something an issue at home, you know, there's some flexi time there, and there's ways we can. Um, uh, adapt to that. But I have heard in other companies where there's very long hours or women uh, are just, you know, there's no let up. So if you have the caring issues or something like that, I just think more fairness and more listening to women and what they need, um, not just for the child rearing years, but looking after older relatives as it comes to, you know, comes to us all um, and health needs and also women's health as well. Um, talking about women's health and being um, open to that and not being scared to have that conversation about what, as a women, inclusively all women, what do we need out of a, a good working environment for Absolutely. the next, next coming? I, I, I'm reminded, when, when you say talking about women's health, I'm reminded of actually a, a totally horrific thought has just come into my head, which yeah. is when I was at, I was in a barrister, I was working as a, as a criminal barrister and I was doing about to do a trial and uh, there was a very strong female advocate and she said to me i'm not going to do this trial today and i said what do you mean you're not going to do it she said it's not going to happen and there was a very sort of crusty male uh, judge and i said well how how is the she said no don't worry leave it to me and i said well surely the trial's going to go ahead you can't just stop the trial anyway she stood up and she said in a very very bold way um your honor this trial can't go ahead today and he was very concerned, you know, everyone was ready, waiting, there was a jury outside, all ready to go. And he said, well, why ever not? And she just looked at him directly and said, women's issues. And he and he just went bright red and he said, well, obviously we'll have to find another day then. And it was, it was this incredible thing. It's just exactly what you said that it, it was, it was so, and this was probably, you know, 15 years ago, it was such a, it was such a bold thing for her to say. And it was so unexpected. Nobody expected to talk about anything relating to women. And he was just totally embarrassed and, you know, caught unaware. I didn't <clears> know what to say other than, okay, you know, <laughs> I'll adjourn the trial. It was quite, quite awful if you think about it. But I suppose it, it, in one way, it played exactly as what Martha said, you know, it played into his unexpectedness and unpreparedness to talk about anything to do with, with, um, with, with, with men. 
Um, I mean, that the courtroom and Zanella's example, you know, extreme example of having to, that is, they are really extreme examples of women having to fit into the male model, as we yeah. said earlier. And, and I think Natalie is so right in saying women need to be listened to in the workplace. You know, things have changed, things have moved on. And, you know, more flexibility is needed. It doesn't have to be that rigid way of working that we've we've always had. Things can be different mm. and need to be different. I was slightly afraid doing this podcast being male and hosting something on International Women's Day because Martha told me that something like 75% of the speaking in any meeting is usually male. <laughs> if women are in a meeting, the same amount of women, more more women, they only get 20. So I thought it was very good that I, at least if we have got three um, wonderful women on this on this podcast and only me, there's a good chance that it will be 25% of my voice and 75% of female voice. So we'll, 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 we'll try and look at that. And, and Martha, what do you think should be done? So again, if you could wave a magic wand and, and look in the workplace, what do you think people could do to better include and hear women's voices? Just just listen to each other and to have an open mind and not to feel there's only one way of doing things. You know, there are creative ideas that can be brought into the workplace that can assist, you know, bring in, bring in people who otherwise wouldn't be able to be in the workplace. You know, there's lots of things that, that can be done differently and it's just listening. It's being prepared to, to open up and listen. Thank you. Well, I think it's been a really, really interesting uh, discussion uh, on lots of things that I wouldn't have expected and uh, lots of things that I think we can take into our mediation work, into our uh, general work. Um, I, I'm going to end really with a with a quote, if I may, from Dr. Jane Goodall, who, if you recall, at the age of 26, she travelled from England to Tanzania to um, study humankind's closest living relatives, chimpanzees. And uh, she took herself off and did 60 years of scientific work. And a lot of wisdom came out of really getting away from people and watching how, how people uh, work and uh, play in the wild. Um, and she said this, what you do makes a difference and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. And I think the really lovely uh, quote, what you do makes a difference and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. So obviously we can all make a difference. Um, in the spirit of International Women's Day, uh, we're supposed to embrace equity and there is a, a special embrace. But I think everyone deserves a, a big hug anyway. So um, I'll invite everybody to, to give themselves a, a, a hug and embrace equity. And um, I think it's a really uh, great thing to be talking about these issues. Thank you so much, all of you, for being on the podcast. Really Thank interesting you. conversation. And uh, we look forward to embracing equity and doing better and celebrating International uh, Women's Day, uh, which is on the 8th of March, 2023. So thanks very much to you all. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mediation Matters. Please remember to subscribe for future episodes.